the Copenhagen thing. So you grew up with it. So you're one of those guys who could just take a pinch and boop right in there. Well, eventually. I mean, the first time I did it, I got really sick. Well, that's but that's the thing that gets you. It's funny with Copenhagen and heroin. Never, <laughs> n- never a great experience first time out. But for some reason, the guys that commit, they'll ride that out. Yeah. Well. I should have gotten sick the first time I did heroin, but that didn't happen. So I did it many, many more times before it started working against me. Well, so that that was not uh, that that worked out too well the first time. Indeed, but you're still alive <laughs> somehow against, against all odds. But I mean, like, what to you know? In order to to dip as a kid, you got to live a certain life. I mean, where where did you where where did that start? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in a small town in central Washington, which is like uh, mainly farming, ran- well, ranching. Near Spokane or no? Uh, right between Spokane and Seattle, right in the exact center of the state. So like Washington, like, I, you know, it always strikes me as uh, beautiful, but uh, but there's a there's a, a, a sort of creepiness at the core somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I once read that uh, most serial killings happen in Washington and Florida in the corners of the, of the really yeah, yeah so. people hit the uh, hit the edge literally and they're like uh, i guess i got to go back in and do some bad work <laughs> <laughs> i've gone as far as i can go geographically within the confines of this country now i got to go make my mark yeah i mean ted bundy did damage in both states he actually killed somebody in my hometown really yeah, i remember uh, when i was a little kid at uh pizza hut yeah there was a flyer on the wall for a missing girl. She turned out to be one of his victims. Oh, you remember that from... That was one of those things. Yeah. That first time you see something like that as a kid, it kind of burns its way in there. Yeah, I mean, apparently something else burned its way into Ted Bundy himself. Yeah, that's for sure. Kid, but, uh, well, what, what, did you grow up on a farm? No, but I grew up in the country. Yeah? Yeah. And what'd you do out there? Just... Uh, wish that I was somewhere else the whole time pretty much yeah big family no small just yeah. just me my mom and dad and my sister that was it um, was he was he a farmer no uh, <laughs> they were they were school teachers oh that's noble uh, I guess <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> is the memories too uh, too polluted by other things to <laughs> yeah, yeah, man it's, it's too raw yeah bad times <laughs> <laughs> and is it that's what started you rolling i guess i guess so yeah i was the the black sheep of the f- small family when did you start uh doing music I, I used to collect comic books as a kid and there was a comic book store in my town yeah and uh, thank god for those right yeah actually that that saved me because i uh i saw a picture of iggy pop on the front of a magazine that he was giving away yeah and because he couldn't sell it no one wanted it i think it was one of those where he cut off half the cover oh yeah, you know, yeah. right they used to do in the 70s and uh oh when they yeah, it was one of those that means that they didn't sell them they were going to send them back i guess i so, think yeah. is what they they'd get credit how did that work they'd cut off the title of the magazine and send those back for or something for credit i don't know whatever so it was half a cover of iggy yeah and uh I, I thought, what, you know, what's this? Yeah, who's that guy? And I asked the kind of uh, older hippie that ran the shop. Thank God for those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Naturally. Yeah. Um, 
you know, who's this? And he said, oh, you know, I have some some 45s and uh, played me, I want to say it was tight pants or something. Uh-huh. And I was, that's what got me hooked. Within like a couple of days, I'd traded in all my comic books for credit on records. So I listened to, you know, the original like uh, Sex Pistols singles. I had those and the damned Stranglers. From the, from that same shop? Yeah, from that same shop. Man. And then as I got a little older, I started to take the Greyhound bus to Seattle and walk around to different record stores. And But I literally didn't know anybody in, in Ellensburg that listened to that same kind of music for years. So and, we're like the same age. So that was a, a give or take a year. So that was like that time where... You really those were those were the only places you could get it. You needed that one record store, or you needed this weird community of friends that would send you shit from other places, or else you were just locked in mainstream fucking townie music, which isn't bad. You know, there's a lot of good rock and roll around. Well, I, you know, in, in Ellensburg, literally nobody even knew who Jimi Hendrix was that I knew. Really? Yeah, it was all the local radio was. I want to say uh, country music, uh-huh. but, you know, 70s style, so that wasn't sure. terrible. But, right. But, yeah, the, the rock thing was really, it, we, was, it was a wasteland. And we're talking like, what, you know, early 70s, mid 70s? Mid to late 70s. And that was, uh, you were like, uh, there's a different world out there. Where's that world? Yeah. So, um, you know, I just listened to that stuff in solitude for several years and then eventually met some guys uh, who were younger than me that in Ellensburg yeah that were into that same kind of music and they ended up uh, being the guys I was in my first band with which band Screaming Trees so those guys were all from your hometown they were yeah so you knew them growing up I, I actually knew who they were because the Connor brothers yeah because it's such yeah. a small town I, one of my uh, earliest memories when I still lived uh, in the town walking to I want to say like first grade or something yeah yeah seeing this kid sitting in a in a uh, like wading pool in this front yard yeah. <laughs> and he smiled at me and that that was man connor yeah uh, you know I, I knew who he was my right. entire life but didn't really know him until i was 18 that's kind of weird about like smaller cities or smaller towns it's like there, there is just a little bit of distance but you, you've seen him around you know <laughs> yeah and th- these guys were really uh I mean, physically imposing, really big guys, really big guys, uh, you know, outside the norm. So, were they twins? No, no. Uh, <laughs> Do people ask that a lot? <laughs> yeah, they, they used to. Um, <laughs> I just remember that first screaming tree. Well, not the first one. That was a surprising thing because, like, like I, you know, the one I heard was the one with the hits on it, the one that became big, and I fucking love that record. But, you know, you guys were at it for a while. Yeah, I mean, we made, I want to say, four records in the 80s. So Yeah. You know, but we were making them, like, every eight months. So, all right, so you meet those guys in your hometown, and they and what did you play? Did you play, or were you just singing? I was a terrible drummer. I, I just had, like, half of a drum kit that some guy had traded me for some weed. But you you were drumming. Well, they they wanted me to, but you know, I was I was arguably a worse drummer than I was a singer, and I was a pretty bad singer for years. <laughs> really? Yeah, it took me a while to 
to learn how to do it. What, who were you like initially? Who were you modeling yourself after? Well, initially, I was singing songs that the guitar player for the Trees wrote, and he wrote them, uh, you know, to suit his voice. Uh huh. And he had a much higher voice than me, so I oh, was so shredding you. I was either like singing really high or singing like two octaves lower, which was easier, but also still like completely right. You know, not correct. Not your sweet spot. Not my sweet spot at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. We weren't anywhere close to being savvy enough to like change keys on anything. So right. Like, for years, literally, I just you know tried to find a way to sing stuff. <laughs> no one, no one could just write down like, well, these are these three. Let's just drop them down or move them up or throw a capo on. It's like we're stuck in these. Did we didn't even know how to change the change the uh, strings on a guitar, really? So is that true? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, how old were you guys? Um, I was twenty when we first started, and a couple of the guys were fifteen. <laughs> and then. <and, laughs> The older uh, Connor brother was, I want to say, 22. 22. Yeah, yeah. So did you, where'd you play? Like, whose garage? Well, we actually uh, rehearsed in the back of a video store that the Connor family owned. Oh, yeah? There was a big room back there. I I worked for them in that shop for a while. You were renting videos? Selling videos? Yeah, renting them out. They have an X section? They did, yeah. Yeah. That's always helpful. (laughs) (laughs) It was, you know, most popular section. Sure, I would think up there in the middle of Washington. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, I, don't, I think it was probably the only place you could get. Oh, really? Videos in our home. So you knew a little bit about the 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 adults in the community. <laughs> well, yeah, their, their, their tastes as you're far as the secret keeper. Right. Yeah. So you're in the back of the store. You and the fellas hammering it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we we actually started recording like a month after we first rehearsed because there happened to be a guy who lived in our hometown that was uh, recording bands and had a four track or an eight track. It was or, an eight track. Yeah, and uh, we ended up making our first four records on that eight track, like all in maybe three years' time. And who released them? Well. The first one was released by the guy who recorded it. Sure. And then we started making records for SST here in yeah. California. Are they are they even still around? Well, I think, you know, he's still selling records, but uh, out of a warehouse in right. Arizona, I think. Because they were, that was a, a pretty important label in its day. Yeah, I mean, you know, for us it was... Must have been like, holy shit. Yeah, it was. It, yeah. was, it was still like the most exciting thing that's happened to me in 30 years of music. That, getting was, that first SST deal? Was getting phone call from, from Greg Ginn at SST, which I didn't even believe it was him. Yeah. Who were they? And you knew all the bands on there, I imagine. Yeah, we were big Black Flag fans. And oh, yeah? We were uh, Husker Du fans, Minutemen. Minutemen. Sonic Youth. Uh, they were all on SST. They were all on SST. We were on there at the same time as Sonic Youth and Dinosaur. Well, it was completely bizarre yeah from where we were from to you know be well, making records for them well what was that first trip down there like well we were playing record stores all the way down to california and that was it and because there was a guy who worked at sst who was friends with the guy who produced our first record um he 
came out as a courtesy to see us play yeah and that's really how we got hooked up with those guys he got excited when he saw us play live to like five people in a record store in santa monica man do you bet you don't miss those gigs I still play those gigs, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Just not with the band by myself. <laughs> More than five. I've, I've played to nobody. I, if there was a negative audience, I could have played to them. Well, that's a, that's an interesting thing about you. I guess interesting is a diplomatic word probably from your perspective, but... <laughs> I mean, you know, you're one of the great rock and roll singers, and you've done, like, you have an amazing catalog of work, yet how does that happen, Mark? Why are you playing to nobody in a record store? I don't know how that happens, but it, it does occasionally. Fucking music, right? Yeah. I played at, uh, I played at weddings. I played at a funeral. I've played everything. As a, as a, as a, to honor somebody or as a paid gig? to honor somebody but <laughs> both times wedding and funeral oh, okay but it wasn't like man things are bad i gotta get a wedding gig no but if somebody offered me one i would definitely take it would you depending on you know how how low my my bank account was at that point well light in the attic did that is they did that beautiful box set right yeah yeah they did an anthology and sub pop did a box set like a couple of years ago of all my early records yeah so and do they sell all right well when sub Pop released the box set i finally recouped with them after like 17 years so <laughs> i guess it sold something <laughs> but so you're even with sub pop i'm even with them now yeah so what was going on like so you're like uh, you signed an sst and you're 20 21 who put out the big record that you guys did uh epic so what what was happening when you got there what year was that we actually signed in 1989 to Epic, which was sort of predated uh, everybody else doing Really? It. Yeah. In fact, I remember um, the, they were putting us on metal compilations, and there really wasn't the you know, sort of grunge genre. Yeah, it's weird because, it, like, in, in retrospect, I don't know if it was a genre, was it, really? No. It's just, you know. Because you guys were rock bands. I mean, all, you know, like Pearl Jam is a rock band. Nirvana is a rock band with a few, you know, pop chords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like like most things, it was a it, media construct. Well, what, but was there a community? Well, it was a small city, so, you know, you, you knew everybody. Musically, it seemed, you know, to us that everybody sort of had their own thing going. So when you guys are doing that stuff, when, when that scene is happening i mean what's your relationship with with uh because i know you worked a bit with some of nirvana right i did yeah that's how i actually started making solo records was um kurt and i were friends and we decided to uh try and make an ep of lead belly covers lead belly being someone that we both liked a lot we were sitting around listening to him one day and thought hey we should we should do a record of this stuff why not and uh sub pop agreed to to put it out yeah and we booked some time in the studio and about an hour into the first day in the studio we kind of looked at each other and thought uh maybe this was like a half-baked idea you know <laughs> so we uh we finished like one or two songs and and then just decided to shelve it and which ones which songs because they covered that one, right? 
That's sort of an off the beaten track one. Which one did they do? They In did, the Pines? Or? Yeah, which is also the song that, that we did together, which ended up being on my first solo record. Um, that one and, and one other one. I can't remember what it was called. But that was the one that, you know, we, we were like, hey, this one's good. And uh, after we told Sub Pop we weren't going to finish making this thing, they, they said to me, why don't you make a solo record? And that was the uh, catalyst for me learning how to how to do it how to play guitar i remember that some, oh yeah is that where you learned yeah that yeah, was because of that see like you're one of those guys and i've talked to people before where musicians like you can be a fan of like a few of the records but then when you sit down with them you're like oh man they got 90 out i missed that <laughs> i missed that one record like 20 records yeah man i have way too many records so no but don't, you don't keep working well no choice <laughs> if you had a choice would you stop uh, if I won the lotto, I might just sit on a beach somewhere. Uh, but, a lotto. <laughs> yeah, the big dream. Yeah, the, the lotto hope. <laughs> so when you were in Seattle, when did the when did you get when did the drug start then? Well, I was always partial to drugs even when I lived in eastern Washington. But, yeah, what were you getting in eastern Washington? Uh, everything you get. In, Anywhere? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. But you were sort of there... Like that, that tar shit preceded the meth shit, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, for me, both both worked out. Yeah, <laughs> gotta be you gotta you gotta be up and you gotta be down. Yeah, si- simultaneously, part of my story. Yeah, did you find because I was trying to kind of tap into like because I listen to Gargoyle and you know those I like I tend to like the like I like those last two cuts the uh first day of winter in old swan you know like uh, on that on the new record oh, and and i like uh there's always been the the thing about your voice but not just about your voice it doesn't matter it doesn't seem to matter who you're playing with there's this what did i write down me, me and my poetic yeah impulse i i said uh <laughs> the tone of sound you can feel the pacific northwest the haunting comfort <laughs> of the weight of the gloomy sky and I said, he's an existential Viking. There you go. That's your, There's your blurb. Do you need a blurb for Gargoyle? <laughs> I just got it. Thanks, man. <laughs> but, you know, I think something, there there is something to that. Don't you ever, I mean, there there's a place you go emotionally with the way you sing and also with the, the chords you use and even over the years, whatever song it is, that there's it creates a space, man. I mean, I don't know how to ask an artist about that, but do you feel that? Do you feel where that came from? Do you think that some of that had to do with Washington or dope or what? I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, speaking of box sets, mm-hmm. one of the first things that I actually heard that sort of informed where I would go with my own records, I was working in a um, warehouse for a chain of record stores in Seattle. And I had made, you know, three records with the trees already. And, yeah. But again, I wasn't writing songs or doing any of that stuff. And I saw this Nick Drake box set called, oh, called Fruit Tree. And it, on the cover, it's just a picture of him like in a long overcoat, smoking a cigarette, like walking on a beach or next to a lake or something. It's yeah. a black and white photo. And yeah. I thought, Fruit Tree. Huh. You know, what is this? And I asked the guy who worked there and he goes, oh man, this stuff is great. And he made me a cassette of Nick Drake, Tim Buckley, and Leonard Cohen, all three of who I'd never heard before. How old were you? 23. Oh, that was it. The portal. 
Yeah, and so that uh, that really spoke to me in a way that you know very few things had before that type of music. And you know, I want to say maybe within six months, I had made written the songs for my first solo record and made that record. So it was really you know sort of my version of that stuff. Sure. If you know, you were under the influence and not in your own voice yet necessarily. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you know could barely play three chords on the guitar to write these songs so that was it that was it and i mean every, wow. everything i've done since then sort of uh i mean it's, it's basically the same but you know with a little bit more uh, artistry i guess so i've you know been really lucky to play with guys who are actually really proficient and great artists so well you are you're you're a great singer <laughs> oh, thanks <laughs> <laughs> but like nick drake i was just talking to another dude about that today I just, I think I just picked up his third album. That song, I was talking, somebody asked me about um, which songs you know, make me cry consistently. And that uh, that song, Time Has Told Me. That's beautiful, yeah. Oh, my God. It didn't end well for that guy. No, it didn't. Um, but I guess it doesn't really end well for everybody. No, eventually. no, no. It, 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 <laughs> it, the end is not good. You just hope it's fast. <laughs> yeah. And I guess if you decide on it, it's you know, it if you do it be, correctly, yeah. it might be pretty quick. Yeah. Do you find that, you know, I guess when you listen to Nick Drake, there's that element where you can hear the weight of, of I don't know if it's sad. I guess it's sadness. It's, there's definitely a space that's created, and you do it too, that... It feels like it could be sadness, but it, it isn't. It's almost like embracing uh, a certain darkness. I mean, do you feel, do you ever feel like what you're doing is like literally saving your life? Well, yeah, you know, for a long time I wouldn't have copped to that, but I, I think that it's true. Yeah, um, right. It's given me an outlet for whatever these you know ideas and thoughts and give me a place to sort of create this uh alternate reality that's in the song or record. yeah um, so cushions it right yeah yeah it's a big dark cushion <laughs> <laughs> that's the other blurb it's a big dark cushion I'm trying to help you out <laughs> it's working did you find that did you find you know and I don't and I don't talk about this much but I'm I'm always curious about it cuz I don't talk to too many people that have had a long experience with dope but do you find that like cuz I've known a couple of dudes that I don't think they could have had the perception that they had with without it You know that's so hard to say really Is it well I mean, because I was never a dope guy. I did a few times. It didn't take. I'm probably lucky. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. Um, you know, it's that's like. Well, you've done it both. You've yeah, written songs on and off. I have, and I've, I've done records that I thought were really good on, and I've done records that I thought were really good off, and I've done records that couldn't come out because they were so bad when i was on you know I yeah mean, ultimately it's uh it's crapshoot it's a gamble well yeah it's a gamble and and you know my experience with that stuff is uh ultimately not a positive one because yeah. of the you know damage it's um you got done, pretty strung done, out done to my existence oh yeah <laughs> yeah 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 but um 
I mean, really, to be honest about drugs, the yeah. only drugs I ever did that sort of enhanced my abilities, I thought, yeah, wasn't really dope, but uh, weed at one time sure. like made me do stuff that I never would have done. Otherwise, I quit smoking weed for about five years, and then around the time I made my second solo record, Whiskey, I decided to smoke weed. And, yeah. And it made me do some stuff that I had never, you know, thought about doing. And, and of course, it turned on me quickly, like all drugs. Well, and yeah, because, like, if you've got the bug, you're just going to do it all day long. Well, <laughs> anything I ever did, that's all I ever did. You know, <laughs> yeah. After the first time it wore off, I was doing it again. Sure. So. It's your job. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then there was a, a brief period of time when, and I shouldn't even say this because I don't in any way advocate it. Right. Because... Ultimately, it was really damaging as well. But there was a period of time when I thought, like, you know, this meth thing is really working for me <laughs> artistically. I'm really getting a lot done. A lot done. But those are really the only two, you know. Well, I didn't get, like, I definitely was, you know, uh, absorbed with weed in a big way. But, like, meth, I've done both meth and dope. And, like, meth, like, I, I get it. You know, there's, there's a, at least a feeling of clarity yeah definitely ultra <laughs> yeah clarity. and you know there is a, a an excitement to it certainly but it just really comes down to i guess whether you want to risk your teeth and <laughs> your mental faculties and right yeah 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 and it's it's a dirty drug it's dirty yeah it's like it's just non-organic non-organic indeed <laughs> as chemical as they come yeah yeah so okay, so you do the solo records now. How did the relationship with um, with Josh start? Well, he, Josh Hami. He lived in Seattle in the early, well, maybe like ninety four. He was living in Seattle ninety five. Yeah, going to college. He had he had uh, quit Caius and was trying to fucking Caius. What a band, dude! Great band, weren't they? Yeah, fantastic. Wow. And uh, he was trying to get get on the straight and narrow. Yeah, he was trying to get on the straight and narrow. His brother lived in Seattle, and he was enrolled in the University of Washington. Yeah, um, I had never met him, but I was a fan of Caius and the bass player in the Screaming Trees knew Josh from something they had done together. Yeah, and we were looking to get a second guitar player, and he ended up uh, saying yes, he would do it. And so he was actually already in the band by the time I met him. In your band? Yeah they had rehearsed with him and everything uh -huh. and then i came one day and he was there so um he seems that makes sense yeah i mean it was obvious right away that he had like way more on the ball than any of us <laughs> it was just sort of playing these yeah you know, rhythm guitar parts but uh but we got along really well and eventually uh we were both living down here he asked me to sing on the first queen's record but i was uh in long-term rehab at that point i couldn't get out to, like six months uh actually went almost a year for the dope yeah everything everything yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and you couldn't get out to sing i couldn't get out to sing um and by the time he made the second record i did quite a bit of singing on that one right and then the next couple i've actually been on all of them except for the first one so when you were in a year rehab did that stick 
It did, yeah, for you know a few years. <laughs> so no, <laughs> well, it didn't stick forever. Yeah, you know, yeah. But what does? I know. Are you sober now or no? I am. Yeah. Yeah, like working it or just? I, I'm working it. Yeah. Oh, good man. That's good. That's pretty much the only thing that uh, you feel better. Uh, of course, yeah. Yeah, it's a, little, a little more freedom, huh? Yeah. And no more. The job is over. Lots more freedom. So, like. It seems to me like, you know, when I look at the stuff you did that, you know, you definitely get a, a tremendous amount of respect from the community in, in a lot of different ways, in a way that not a lot of singers do or rock performers do. Like, you know, it seems like the alt acts, you know, the, the, the hipster kids love you, the fucking hardcore, you know, alt rockers love you. And then the hard rock dudes fucking love you. Like you can you have this this uh, this ticket to, or this like ability to because your instrument is so uh solid that you can work with all these different people that's kind of an amazing thing do you do you recognize that i, I don't know if i recognize the love you just described but <laughs> but I, I recognize the uh, opportunity that I've, I've had you know to work with all kinds of different people and guns and roses guys um <laughs> well duff's a good friend of mine yeah he's a seattle guy too and, uh, he is huh yeah and that, like, but that's a whole other world. I mean, there's differences in these worlds. Like, there's differences in the worlds, in my mind, maybe not in yours or maybe not in, but there's a difference in the Guns N' Roses circle and the Dinosaur Jr. circle. Well, yeah. <laughs> they seem to be different orbits. Like, you know, rock, you know, at Los Angeles, Hollywood rock and roll is specific. I mean, and I think, I, I think that, you know, Josh is sort of, uh, in between those sometimes but he's definitely a hard rock guy but then when you think about jay jay's hard rock as hell but it's like his own weird thing you know what i mean yeah well i mean there, there definitely are uh differences um in the specific uh you know communities communities i guess but that doesn't mean that people don't uh you know hang out interact with people <laughs> well, that, well that's well, see that's weird because as a guy who likes music and as somewhat of a fan and not you know you have a lot of different people you get this weird assumption that the, the, you guys are like comic book people like you're you're like superheroes of some kind and they're these different factions that you know but behind the scenes i've learned after talking to people it's like you know you pass in the hallway or whatever the hallway is or whatever that represents and like what are you working on i got a thing going it's like you know it's not yeah, there's a difference between the front the front room and the back room, you know? Well, I think, you know, the, a lot of uh, that kind of perception is probably because of the sort of mainstream success of one band compared right. to, like, the sort of sustained different kind of success of a different kind of band, you know what I sure. mean? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of the difference sure. between Guns N' Roses and Dinosaur Jr. now. Right. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's music, and you guys uh, you come in contact with people from all, right. all different uh, kinds of bands. But you did a couple records with uh, Isabel from uh, Bell and Sebastian? I did. I made three records with her. But now, was that, were you guys in a relationship? No. How did that, how does that happen? See, that's one of those things where it's like, you're a singer and, you know, she's, sing it's like it makes sense, but it seems two different worlds, doesn't it? Uh, or not to you? Well, I mean, I was a fan of Bell and Sebastian, yeah. but it, it was definitely, you know, not in my direct uh, realm. <laughs> yeah. Not the kind of... Uh, you weren't hanging out. Not hanging out. Right. Um, she got in contact with me via a record company or uh -huh. management or something, wanted me to sing on one song. 
which I did, and then we ended up meeting in uh, person and became friends and ended up making all these records together. Pretty records. Thank you. You make pretty records with that, with her. <laughs> well, I agree. Thanks. And which one of that, the, the record you did, where there was a lot of collaboration. Like, I don't know the record, but I did some reading about it. Was it Bubblegum, that record? Was that, yeah, it was your record. Yeah. And like, there was a shit ton of people on there. Yeah, I made that while I was playing with the Queens. So all those guys were on it. And um, was PJ Harvey on it? She sang on a couple songs, yeah. Are you pals with her? We, we know each other. Yeah. I wouldn't say we're pals, but she's, I'm, I'm a huge fan of what right? she does. I mean, she's the greatest. She's something, right? Yeah. And what, what happened? So, how did you manage to. Um, do you, are you married? Uh, I've been married a couple times. I'm in the process of ending my second marriage right now. Yeah, I've been through a couple. You got kids? No. Me neither. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won, man. <laughs> Don't ever look at it differently. Okay. <laughs> oh, wait. Before, let's, before we get to the new record, the Afghan Wigs... They were a band that I remember, like, you know, enjoying a couple of their records. And I know they just, they did a new one recently. And I know that, you know, Greg's out, you know, talking to people. And I haven't talked to him because I'm nervous. I get nervous about uh, musicians sometimes. But you guys known each other a long time and you do, you work together? Because I listened to a little bit of one of the records you did with him. Yeah, I mean, we played on a bunch of records together. We're good friends how how did you guys uh come together with you because you record under another band name right well we recorded with his band twilight singers uh sang with those guys played on a few of their records he's played on a bunch of my records we made a record together called the gutter twins right that one yeah and we um were you just like-minded you just get along yeah we're just you know real good friends yeah is that from seattle days we knew each other in Seattle, but we didn't really uh, hang out until we both lived down here, like in the late 90s again. Man, tough racket. <laughs> Music. <laughs> like, it's like, because when I'm going over your stuff and I'm planning to talk to you, like, there's just like so many different side projects, so many different bands. You've sung on fucking everything. Have you met most of your heroes? I've met quite a few of them, yeah. Like, who Who else? Well, one of my first heroes was a guy named Greg Sage. He was in a band from Portland, Oregon called The Wipers. Yeah. And uh, I want to say it was the second show I ever did was opening for him. We became friends. He was also an influence on my first solo record, along with that other stuff I mentioned, because he had made a record, a solo record that was heavily acoustic. And that was, uh, I actually heard that before I heard Nick Drake and that stuff. So uh, he... Yeah, I spent a lot of time with him back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, Jeffrey again. Yeah. Um, Rollins? Rollins, sure. Did shows with him. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, know him. He's he's great. He's a real character, man. Yeah, he's one of the greatest. I just remember <laughs> before I actually knew Henry, yeah. uh, playing a show with him at the old IBM in San Francisco. And we played... And, of course, the Connor brothers got in a fist fight on stage <laughs> with each other. With each other, yeah. Oh my god, that was the only only person they would fight with was each other. Yeah. Um, and then I was off the side of the stage. Ron's band getting ready to go up, and 
Henry's like in full view of the audience and everything doing push-ups or four count burpees like uh -huh. you know like working out <laughs> on the side of the stage i was like man this guy's <laughs> he means business he is something else <laughs> of course he is you know yeah <laughs> is he doing all right have you talked to him lately i, I saw him i want to say in god maybe it was 2010 oh it's been a while yeah um but we have you know a lot of people in common yeah sure he's, he's a very he's an earnest motherfucker man he is yeah great great taste in music oh he knows everything yeah he like i talked to him once and he gave me all the like i did a series of shows with him spoken word things and he brought me a like a hard drive said here's some stuff and i'm like holy <laughs> shit where the fuck do you even <laughs> where'd this come from you know like just like studio versions of things you're like what what is this yeah man he's a, he's something else so on gargoyle it's like you've done a, this is like what your 10th record 10th record with my name on it now one thing i noticed and i noticed this because you know, maybe i'm wrong but like i recently um got sent the promo uh uh, uh version uh, it's it's not it hasn't come out yet of of ray davies record a new record from the kings and you know it, you know i don't know if it's because i'm 53 and that you know like i just listened to amy mann's new record and she's around our age you know well you're a little younger than me what are you 52 52 yeah that like you know people like it's i guess the point i'm making it seems that you know your voice and your songs sound uh uh like they're deeper and have more wisdom and that you know your own you know kind of vulnerability and fragility of just being where we are in life you can feel that alongside of <laughs> this is a good thing don't misunderstand it that you can feel that alongside of what you've always been doing and it adds a, another dimension to it do you, are you aware of that do you feel like you're writing differently now well i definitely feel like i'm better at it now because it's easier mm -hmm. i don't know if i'm just kidding myself or what right um but as far as like uh what the end result is i, I don't I don't really think about it. No, I just sort of like uh, go on instinct, and yeah, and I know that because I'm less uh, critical of what I do. Yeah, now that's I, I feel like it's getting better. That's it. That's what she said too. It's like I, the, I, I give less of a shit about what people think of me. <laughs> Basically, was the I'm paraphrasing, but like once you get like once that. It's what a fucking relief that is. If there's any gift to you know living, continuing to live when you see you know uh, people in our peers pass at young ages, is that eventually you stop giving a fuck about certain things. Indeed, that's a fucking gift. I got I got to make sure I remember that because. <laughs> <laughs> Because there were a lot of things when I was younger that seemed like an awfully big deal that really it's just sort of like, what the fuck? Oh, man. Everything was a big deal to me when I was younger, and now nothing is, so. But you can't, there's no way to learn that before it happens. You know, who's going to tell you that? It's like, hey, you know what? You shouldn't give a shit so much. And when you're, you're fuck you. Yep. This is life or death here, man. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> right? <laughs> what do you know, old man? Who played on this record? Uh, Alan Johannes plays on uh, most of it. He's the guy I've made records with since Bubblegum. Produces um, 
but a lot of the music for this one was recorded and written by a guy named Rob Marshall, a British guy. How'd you find him? Uh, he actually found me. Yeah. Asked me to do something for this project that he was doing, and I recorded some vocals, and I mean, I heard it first, and I was like, yeah, this is cool, and I could do something with this, and I wrote some words and recorded some vocals for his thing. Yeah. And uh, then he sent me an email saying, I really like what you did. I'd like to write something for you someday. And I was like, okay, well, I filed that away, and then I was sort of running into a wall trying to finish this new record, and I was not really digging what I was doing, and I thought, hey, maybe that... <laughs> call in a favor yeah maybe that guy's got something for me <laughs> and so he ended up uh, sending me a whole bunch of stuff which was again just as good as the stuff I had done for him and it was really easy to write to and oh so cool ended up half the record was his stuff well I, I appreciate the fact that it's a reasonable amount of songs instead of 90 you know like uh, for some reason people who do CDs are like we're gonna put 18 songs on there it's like dude you know the records were good for a reason you know cut you know make some choices yeah but I, I thought about just doing eight songs this time yeah but um, yeah 10 seems to be the, yeah Amy did like 10 on hers too I was like yeah thanks because it feels like you know you made some decisions <laughs> you know what I mean well in my case it's just using the, exactly what I have <laughs> Heck, that's all I got. That's all I got. That's all I got Thank for this God one. That's enough. So, are you going to go out and tour, or what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to tour in uh, May, June, July, and Europe, and then maybe some state stuff in August, and then back to Europe for a couple months. How you holding up in Europe? How's the you got? How, how's the crowds? Well, it's the only place I have a crowd is Europe, so I I managed. To, Nothing wrong with that. It's worked for me for several years, so I'm, yeah. I'm lucky. There, I don't know what it is or why that is, but you, you know, the, it seems like you can hold on to the community longer. You know, with and you know, being, you know, somebody who's specific and has specific fans, it seems like you can continue to build there. Here, like I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, I, d I don't either. Um, <laughs> but I've I managed to, you know, I tour every year in Europe and pay my bills from that. So I'm and you're all right. Blessed. Yeah, blessed. Good. <laughs> Still alive. Well, it was good talking to you, Mark. Nice talking to you. <laughs>